of rejoicing. Easter is a day of gladness. And I will tell you what, the sight of being here on Easter morning, looking out at all of you, is something that I have greatly anticipated. It has been two years, people, two years since we have gathered on Resurrection Sunday. And I don't know that there is a gathering that I have anticipated uh, more deeply than what we are currently experiencing. Sometimes I feel like shouting glory. And my heart is filled with joy to be together with the people of God this morning. Um, one of the things that, there's a few things that I always like people to know about the church. One is that we're all about Jesus. So you've noticed that so far, you'll notice that in the sermon. I am not a life coach. I am not giving you tips and tweaks for a better life. We preach Christ, which makes all of the difference in our lives. But spend any time around us as a church, and you will see that we are all about Jesus. And one of the things that I never tire of saying as well is that we are not a museum full of perfected saints. Uh, you might think, oh, wow, look at the preacher, look at the worship leader, people sharing testimonies. They all have their lives together. Emphatically not. Um, we are not a museum full of perfected saints. We're a hospital for the needy and the broken and the sin sick. We are together leaning on Christ, our Savior, as our only hope in life and death. Over the past couple of months, we've been doing a sermon series on basic doctrines of the Christian faith. It's fine if you haven't uh, if you're not aware of that series, but it's been on our statement of faith. And today we're going to consider and celebrate the doctrine of the resurrection. Uh, what the Bible teaches about rising from the dead and what Christ accomplished for us in his resurrection. And I do pray that God meets each one of you. As a teenager, I was bored with God and bored with church. I would have only gone to church on Easter Sunday uh, or any other time to make other people happy or because my parents made me. And if you are here to bless someone else or uh, because someone made you, um, I'm glad you're here. And I've prayed for you. I've prayed that God would, would meet you. My, my own story, I stand before you as a testimony and proof of the fact that God changes lives and that no one is beyond the reach of his grace. Our scripture passage for the sermon is from 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, I'll begin reading in verse 1 and we'll read through verse 28. This is God's holy and authoritative Word. It's one of the reasons that we have so much scripture in our services because this book is unlike any other. This is not simply another human addressing us. Here we hear from God himself. 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, 
that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of all the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet, but when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is exempted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. May God bless the preaching of his word this Easter Sunday. We live in a world of communication overload in which many voices seek to communicate the importance of their message all at the same time. 
The media communicates the stories they believe are most important. Twitter hashtags say, here is an important issue. Advertisements tell us about the importance of their product. Phones and inboxes alert us to important messages. There is a message that God says is of first importance. And it is a message we must not neglect. It is in verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance this message that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. This is not a new and novel idea. Christians throughout the centuries and across the world have believed as central to their faith and of first importance that Jesus truly died and was placed in a tomb and then gloriously early that Sunday morning his heart began to beat and Blood began racing once again through his veins. Verses 4 through 8 explain that the resurrection of Christ is a historical fact. Grounded in the eyewitness testimony of hundreds of people. Many of those men and women were alive at the time of Paul's writing. Many of them were highly skeptical and would have no category for a bodily resurrection. But came to believe through the eyewitness testimony they participated in. Now, Paul wrote this letter and this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, to Christians who were saying in verse 12 that there is no future physical, physical resurrection of the dead. And Paul responds to this by explaining the importance of Jesus' bodily resurrection and the vital connection that exists between the past resurrection of Jesus and our future resurrection from the dead. We have hope and joy in life only because Jesus truly rose from the dead. And so what Paul does, it's actually a fascinating argument and treatment of the objection, of the, the, uh, the erroneous belief. What he does is a what-if experiment. You may have heard of, of counterfactual history, virtual history. It's an approach to history that examines uh, what-if questions. So what if George Washington's army had lost the Revolutionary War? Or what if Robert E. Lee had won the Battle of Gettysburg? Or what would the economic impact on a particular nation be if flight had not been invented? You consider what didn't happen in order to shed light on the importance and the meaning of what did happen. And that's exactly what Paul does here. What if Jesus, you know, play out that scenario. What if Jesus never rose from the dead? Only in this case, there is no need to speculate because of the importance of the resurrection and the foundational role that it plays in the life of the Christian and in the life of of the church. So I want to consider two points. First, the problem we have if Jesus was not raised. And second, the hope we have because Jesus was raised. So first, we have, and I hope you realize this, we have serious 
problems today in our lives if Jesus was not raised. This is verses 13 through 19. If Jesus wasn't raised and is still dead, we are told, the entire message of Christianity falls apart. Verse 14, our preaching is in vain. Verse 15, we would be misrepresenting God. We would be liars who are bearing false witness about God and deceiving others. If the resurrection of Christ did not happen, we are like Charles Ponzi. You may know that last name, Ponzi. Charles Ponzi made a fortune off of lying for people. He was so skilled at deception that a kind of fraud was named after him, the Ponzi scheme. Life goal to avoid that scenario where something's named after you because of your corruption and deceit. In 1920, he tricked investors into thinking they were profiting from legitimate operations, but it was all a scam, and the whole thing fell apart. Without the resurrection... Christianity falls apart. We can even go so far as to saying that you right now in being here or on watching are wasting your time if Christ has not been raised. Christianity, the reason for this is that Christianity depends upon historical events. And this is one of the things that sets it apart from many other religions in the world. Uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, they are philosophies that in fact don't even require the existence of their founder in order to make sense. But the gospel is grounded in history. The whole message of Christianity is that we, by our own good works and our moral performance, cannot work our way to God we will never be good enough. We cannot earn our salvation. And that Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead to give us eternal life. If Christ is not raised, this is repeated, verse 13 and verse 17 says that our faith is futile. <laughs> That's an interesting point. You hear people talk about how it's important to be a person of faith. And a lot is said uh, commending the person of faith. Uh, what you actually believe doesn't matter, it said, as long as you are a person of faith. That, that's the wrong way to think about the truth. It's not enough to have faith. The question is, what or who are we placing our faith in? If our faith is placed in a living Savior who is in fact dead and buried in the ground... That is a worthless faith. Our faith would be in vain. Verse 17 also says, If Christ has not been raised, you are still in your sins. The whole problem of sin remains. And here it needs to be acknowledged. Because the whole glory of the good news is being honest and confronting the bad news in our own lives. And friends, if we are honest with ourselves if we have the courage to confront who we really are, we know that each one of us has a real-life sin problem. In recent months, I have asked my wife for forgiveness for being sinfully defensive and proud. I've asked my kids for forgiveness for being sinfully impatient and irritable. I've asked co-workers and pastors for forgiveness for being sinfully rude and dismissive. 
I've asked friends for forgiveness for being sinfully selfish and inconsiderate. You're like, yikes, this guy's a mess. And it's worse than you know when it comes to the reality of sin. But here's the thing. The Bible says that the most serious thing about sin is not the effect it has on others, but that we are dead in our sins and deserving of God's righteous judgment. This is why the message of Christ is the message of first importance. Jesus' death on the cross in our place was effective in dealing with sin, and the proof is that he rose from the dead. If he did not rise from the dead, then his death did not pay the penalty for sin, and we are still in our sins and will be judged for our sin. Verse 18 says, Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. There is no hope then all of humanity is lost. We have no future. We have no hope. Death remains. The last enemy wins if Christ has not been raised. And so in some, verse 19, if Christ is not raised, we are of all people most to be pitied. What does that mean? Well, because Christ so radically informs our priorities and our decisions and our lives. We are building our lives around him. A genuine Christian is someone for whom Jesus makes such a great difference in our daily lives that if Jesus was not raised, our our lives don't make sense. Our lives and our priorities are worthless. If Jesus is still dead, anybody is better off than the Christian. And so notice at this point, the Bible doesn't allow us to take the position that Jesus was merely a good moral teacher or that Christianity is simply about commands to love, principles for better living. No, if the resurrection did not happen, Christianity is worthless because this is emphatically not a system of morality or a philosophy for better living. Yes, it will change your life. Yes, it will make you a better person. But this happens only once we are brought from death to life and are saved by grace alone through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so take in the bleak bleak picture of life if Christ was not raised. It is a nightmare situation that should, if understood, strike terror in our hearts, a false message, a futile faith, dead in sin, wasted lives, and of all people, most to be pitied. But, and here is the second and last point. Here we turn in the text. But we have certain hope because Jesus was raised. And this is verses 20 through 28. Verse 20 is the glorious hinge in the chapter where it triumphantly declares, but in fact. (laughs) So consider, what if he wasn't raised? If Christ was not raised, if he's not raised, then this implication, then this implication. Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. But in fact, but in fact, He is risen, but in fact, death could not hold him. 
But in fact, Jesus is alive. But in fact, death is dead. Love has won. Christ has conquered. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Verse 20 says he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That means that his resurrection secures our resurrection. In Adam all died. In Christ we are made alive. Verse 23 says that there is a future resurrection that will happen at his coming. When he returns again. And this resurrection life, we're also told in verse 23, in a massively important phrase, this will only happen for those who belong to Christ. How can we belong to him? Only by grace. Only by grace and not by works. We can't earn it. It is by repenting of our sin, turning from a life of sin, and trusting in Christ for salvation that we come to belong to him. If you do not belong to him today, the scripture would say that you are still dead in your sin, that you are without hope. Friends, why not turn to Christ this Easter? Today is the day of salvation. Joy and hope and purpose in life await you in Christ. Verse 25 says that every enemy will be put under the feet of King Jesus, including, verse 26, the last enemy, which is death. And then the rest of the chapter, if you're familiar with it, goes on to celebrate the resurrection bodies we will have when Christ returns and the victory we have over death. This past year, this is why the Easter message is so relevant and so timely for us. This past year, we have been reminded of the pain and the sorrow and the loss, death, frustration that marks life in a fallen world. All of creation groans under the effects of the fall. But the resurrection comes as a truth and brings us hope and brings us joy and brings us meaning in life. Someone said that the tomb of Christ became the womb of the new creation. This is the starting point for all things being made new. Because he lives, the day is coming when there will be no more sickness. The day is coming when there will be no more death, no injustice, no suffering and no sin. Those who belong to Christ will receive new resurrection bodies that are not subject to weakness and sickness or death. Yes, death is the ultimate enemy, the final enemy. But we in Christ have the ultimate victory because Christ has been raised from the dead. I want to invite the band to come forward as I move to a close. The phoenix is a mythological bird that is born again. Uh, it burns to death and then rises from the ashes to new life. It is a symbol, it's a glorious symbol of rebirth, um, resurrection, renewal. In Harry Potter, Albus Dumbledore owned a phoenix at Hogwarts Castle named Fox. 
And during Harry's second year at Hogwarts, Fawkes was instrumental in helping Harry, the chosen one, defeat the serpent and rescued Harry from death. The stories and the myths of this world echo the true event of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and our future resurrection. If your life seems to be nothing but ashes, if you feel as though you are without hope, if your soul is downcast, if the world has failed you, this day, the doctrine of the resurrection changes everything. God is pouring out this day the joy of Easter. The joy of the resurrection. Indeed, at the end of this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul triumphantly declares, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God, O Christian, church of the risen Christ. Thanks be to God. Has he given you the victory? Has he triumphed over sin and death? Do you believe that death is beaten? Do you believe that God has rescued you? Has the Lord washed all your sin away? Has he given you eternal life? Has he promised you that one day pain and sorrow will be no more? Has he given you endless joy? Has he given you perfect peace? Then praise the name of Jesus. Praise his name. Sometimes I feel like shouting glory. We shout glory to the King of Kings. We do not worship a dead savior. We worship the Christ of the empty tomb. He is risen, he is risen. Praise his name. Glory to the King of Kings.